Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Last week on the show, we talked to a mom, the comedian W. Kamau Bell's mom. Her name's Janet Cheatham Bell. So Janet, Janet is a mom to a famous person, but she's also got her own successful career as an author. And Janet, on our show, talked about being a single mom because that's what she wanted. You know, Janet loved being single. Well, today we are talking to another famous person, a mom who was single not by choice. That person is Katie Couric. Some of you will remember Katie from the Today Show, which she hosted for 15 years. From NBC News, this is Today with Bryant Gumbel, Catherine Couric, and Joe Garagiola. This was her first day on the job. Welcome to Today on a Friday morning into a new chapter of Today. How did it sound? Sounded good, yeah, but I still can't decide whether I'm Catherine or Katie. No, like, Alex, re it for us, right? <laughs> Catherine Couric. <laughs> Thank you. One more time, Alex. Catherine Couric. Thank yeah, you very much. There you go. Um, in case you haven't gotten the message, Katie is now a, uh, a permanent fixture up here, a member of our family. When Katie got her start, I think a lot of people just thought of her as this cute, peppy, button-nosed lady. And it's easy to think that because the Today Show is more known for its reporting on the hottest celebrity weddings and the latest dieting trends than for its hard-hitting journalism. But Katie found a way, you know, in that kind of shallow news environment to do some really impactful work. Katie has interviewed some of the most influential people of our time at the Today Show and in her later gigs as anchor of the CBS Evening News, Remember that Sarah Palin interview? Palin kept up her busy schedule today, meeting with several world leaders who are here in New York for the U.N. session. At that job, Katie Couric was the highest paid journalist in the world. Then she had her own talk show on ABC called Katie. We're so lucky today because we're here with sexy sitcom siren Sofia Vergara. For the past five years, she's... And now she's the global anchor of Yahoo News. Welcome to Yahoo News Live. Ariana Huffington is on a mission. Well, you're Today, Katie Couric, this woman that you've seen interview presidents and authors and actors and filmmakers, gives us a peek inside her own life. Katie Couric is the youngest of four kids. Her family lived in Arlington, Virginia. She says her parents had pretty traditional roles for the 50s. Very leave-it-to-beaver type atmosphere. Katie's dad was the breadwinner. He was a PR exec and a newspaper journalist. Her mom was a homemaker. You know, did all the cooking, all the chores. 
But we always laugh and say that if my mom had been born in a different time, she was born in 1923, she would probably be a CEO or at least a stock broker and somebody in finance. She's very interested in sort of understanding finances. And when the AIDS epidemic broke out in the early 1980s, um, in a in a significant way, my mom bought a lot of Trojan stock. Trojan as in condoms. So we all thought that she was a very savvy, um, <laughs> a savvy money person. Katie grew up, became a journalist like her dad. In 1989, she got married. She married a guy named Jay Monahan. He was a lawyer and reported on law for NBC News. They had two kids together. So I have a daughter named Ellie. Her name is Eleanor Tully Monahan, and she is 24 years old, about to be 25. And I have another daughter named Caroline Crick Monahan, who we call Carrie, and she's 20. Carrie's in college at Stanford. Ellie is a grad student at the American Film Institute. You know, they're they're out of the house. They're all grown up. But when they were kids, Katie says she saw a lot of micromanaging parents around her, and she tried hard not to be like that. She describes her parenting style as freedom with limits, which she says she got from her own parents. They gave me the freedom to sort of experiment, but um, I think they also kept tabs on me at all times. You know, if I had a boy and visiting in the basement and we were watching TV and making out on the sofa, my dad would kind of open the door and kind of, you know, make sure that things weren't getting too out of hand, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Did he, like, make excuses to come in? Yeah, kind of. Or he'd say he'd have to get something out of the freezer. And I remember once I rode my bike to visit my boyfriend, and I was in his basement, like, I'm sure, you know, up to no good. And my mom drove over to his house and, you know, banged on the front door. And I came upstairs, and it was clear that probably that I was necking, as they would say <laughs> in the 50s, with this kid. And my mom threw my Schwinn varsity in the in the back of the st- our station wagon and said, get in the car, and drove me right home. And I was so embarrassed. Uh-huh. But I really appreciate the fact that she thought I was probably getting myself into a situation that I shouldn't be in at 16, and she wanted to intervene, and she did. I think there's a really fine and delicate balance between being involved in your children's lives, keeping tabs on them, being present, but not overly present. And I think that's the way I've tried to raise my kids. And in some ways, it's been out of necessity because I've worked their whole lives. And, um, you know, I was a single mom because my husband died when my girls were just six and two. Yeah. So that was what I was going to ask you about next. Um, can you tell me about getting the diagnosis? Your 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 husband, your first husband, Jay Monahan, um, was diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, and so can you tell me about getting that diagnosis and how you broke the news to your kids? Um, oh, God. It was just awful, as you can imagine. It was April of 1997, and he hadn't been feeling well for a while. But we chalked it up to the fact that we had two little girls. We both had busy schedules. He'd been traveling. He did a lot of legal commentary, and he was covering the Terry Nichols trial. And um, he had lost weight, but, you know, like most people, we were always trying to lose weight. And he was fatigued and 
you know, he always, always had a sour s- stomach. I remember on our first date, he had a roll, a, you know, a thing of Rolaids in his pocket. So I didn't really think that much of it, although I do remember seeing him and thinking, gosh, he looks thin. And then one day I was at the Today Show, and it was after the show, and uh, Nula, our nanny at the time, called me and said, You're, you know, Jay is doubled over in enormous pain. And like so many 41-year-old guys, he didn't even have a doctor. He had just moved to New York not long before. And a lot of men just, I think, feel invincible and don't go for yearly checkups. Unlike women who I think because of OBGYNs, you know, they're much more likely to have regular doctor's visits. And so I had him go to my doctor. And uh, at the time, his mom was dealing with ovarian cancer. And I remember uh, my doctor uh, saying, don't worry, I don't think it's cancer. And then everything was just such a blur. We went to New York Hospital and he was admitted and pretty quickly it became apparent he needed a bowel resectioning because he had a tumor that was completely obstructing his colon. And I remember thinking, well, we'll deal with it. You know, he'll get chemo, we'll get treatment. And only a day or two after he had had the surgery, uh, the same doctor, my internist, took me into one of those little waiting rooms at the end of the hall. And he said, you know, I I just have to tell you the situation is really bleak because Jay has um, tumors all over his liver. Wow. So, So it had metastasized and it was very advanced. And he... Then his vision was impaired because he had tumors behind his eyes. And uh, it was just, I always say life, B.C. and A.C., before cancer and after cancer. It was just uh, just a gut-wrenching, heartbreaking thing. And then you had daughters who were two and six years old at the time. How did you break the news to them? Well, you know, I read a lot of books, and I wanted to make sure I handled this as best as I possibly could with my girls. Um, I told them that their dad was sick. But, you know, at that point, I I had no idea. I was suddenly immersed in this world of cancer that was like learning a foreign language. And, of course, I educated myself immediately. Jay was very, very intelligent person. But for some reason, he wasn't as curious about, you know, learning about the disease as I was. I think he was probably afraid Mm -hmm. of what he was going to discover. So I educated myself. And I didn't say, um, your dad has cancer. Um, I, I, I think I just said he's sick. And, you know, I don't remember exactly the words I used, but I do remember Ellie at one point asking me if he was going to get better. And I think most experts and books say you should be honest with children. And so I, all I said was, I really hope so. I really hope he's going to get better, but I'm not sure. Um, because I, I maintained that hope throughout Jay's illness. He was sick for nine months. And, um, determined, determined to do everything I could to either extend his life or I thought maybe even save it because I thought if I, if only something would be developed that would extend his life for a little while and there's so much exciting research being done and every day I would search the computer for new, new studies or new research or new treatments or new 
clinical trials for advanced colon cancer. And of course, we never found it. That That is a lot to deal with um, on its own. And then on top of that, to have two small children and to know that you are likely going to become a single mother. Um, and also, d- you know, I was working full time. Yeah. So I stayed doing the Today Show, which was really, really hard because it was hard to concentrate on interviewing somebody about and you have you know, to be current upbeat. events. Like you, you have yeah. to be, you're the voice of that show, you know? And, and yeah, that was hard. Yeah. And, but I also, it was two hours where I wasn't thinking about Jay and cancer and potential treatments and calling you know, a pharmaceutical company or a medical institution. It just, it was almost like a two-hour respite every day for me. And so, um, you know, I think it was helpful in that way to keep working. But yes, it was a lot to handle, a lot to manage. And, uh, you know, both logistically, but, but emotionally, it was just, you know, what do you do when you have this perfect life, you have this handsome, young, seemingly healthy husband who's smart and a lawyer, and you have this life you've built together that has exceeded your wildest expectations. And I've got this job I never in a million years thought I would get. It was kind of crazy. Two healthy children and, um, you know, just blessed beyond measure. And then this this happens, and it's just, um, it's it's completely... Life-shattering, really. And then Jay dies. Katie, of course, is devastated. She does her best to keep busy with her kids and with her friends. But, you know, when something like this happens, there are times when it's impossible to not feel depressed. Katie says she'll never forget the first anniversary of Jay's death. She was living in a hotel with her girls because they were just about to move to a new apartment. That night, her kids fell asleep, but Katie just couldn't. She stayed up watching the movie Rushmore. So Katie continues to throw herself into work, you know, to help distract her. A little at a time, she starts to feel more normal. A new century begins. And in the year 2000, a couple years after Jay's death, Katie does this thing on TV. She gets a colonoscopy. She broadcasts it on the Today Show. Okay. I'm a little nervous. Sure. Is that normal? Normal. Normal. How do you feel? This right here, this is truly remarkable when you think about it. Like, just picture all the work that goes into getting a TV personality like Katie Couric ready to go on camera. You know, you've got the wardrobe people, the makeup artists. And then Katie goes and and takes the camera to the least photogenic place imaginable. I have a pretty little colon. (laughs) Actually, this this is good. Somehow Katie pulls off making even her colon look good on camera. But seriously, this was a crazy brave thing to do. I just learned so much in the process of Jay's illness and subsequent death that I wanted to share it. I didn't know that colon cancer was the second leading cancer killer of men and women in this country. I didn't, I'd never even heard of a colonoscopy. I remember President Reagan had polyps, but that was really all I recalled. And I felt like, gosh, I have this incredible platform I can share with people everything I wish I had known. Now, Jay was too young to get a colonoscopy at age 41, but 
perhaps if I had been more aware of the symptoms, if we had been just, you know, I, I would have had him go to a doctor sooner or he would have gone to a doctor sooner. Um, and I thought for people who are 50 and over or pe- people under 50 who have a family history, I just wanted to educate them. And it was a way to honor him in some capacity. And I think it was a way for me to feel less powerless because I think when someone you love is sick and there's nothing you can do about it or very little you can do about it, it is the most agonizing experience for a can-do person. And I think I thought if somebody could find out about this screening tool, do it, and a life could be saved or lives could be saved, that that would be something positive coming from such a horrible, horrible event. And it it totally worked. After Katie put her colon on TV, the rate of people getting colonoscopies went up 20% in this country. People called it the Couric effect. It was an effect that actually saved lives. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported that the death rate of people with colorectal cancer fell by an average of 3% per year between the years 2003 and 2007. Coming up, Katie talks about life as a single mother. Stay with us. Can you say advertisements? Advertisements. (laughs) Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back with journalist Katie Couric, whose husband, Jay Monahan died from colon cancer in 1998. And so what did you do after he did die? Um, How did you manage as a single mother? Well, um, you know, I think one of the things about having children is you don't have a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to take care of your kids. So... I had to just keep going and make sure that they were okay. I had Ellie go talk to a therapist because I thought you never regret going to see someone. You always regret not. 
And so I, I tried to do that. Carrie was just two. I think in retrospect, when she became a little older, it would have been good for her to go talk to someone because I think she felt very excluded in our family because she never really knew her dad. And uh, I think uh, that was really hard for her as she got older. He was sort of like a ghost. And, um, but I just, I just forged ahead. I worked with uh, their school because I thought they could have been a lot more helpful in, in terms of adjust, helping us adjust and helping Ellie adjust to not only her father being sick, but then, of course, dying. Because I think what happens is when you have a sick parent, you feel very alone and you feel um, a little bit like an outcast and you feel different. And kids don't like to feel different, especially at that age. I remember I called this a great organization called Cancer Care, which gives a lot of to provide services for for people in terms of transportation. And I didn't call them for that. I called them because I wanted help with with helping my children. And they had a counselor come to Ellie's school. She was in first grade. And they passed out little jewels, these fake jewels. And they had everybody put a jewel in a cup in the middle of the room. They formed a circle. It's called the worry cup, I believe. And every child said what they were worried about. Hmm. So everybody gathered together. And I wasn't there for this, but I arranged it with Ellie's teacher. And her teacher, Donna Friel, told me later it was one of the most profound experiences she had ever had as a teacher because it allowed all these kids to talk about what they were worried about. And I think Ellie obviously talked about being worried about her father. And I remember there was a father-daughter dance at Ellie's school, and I, I was really upset about it because I thought there were three girls in her class whose fathers had died, and I thought it was so grossly insensitive. And I went and I talked to them, and I said, I really think, you know, you should do away with this night or call it something different because it's really hard. These little girls don't have dads, and it makes them feel so left out. And I remember the school resisting it and saying it was kind of a tradition. And I said, well, you know, so was slavery, and they got rid of that too. Wow. <laughs> but I just, you know, it just really made me mad that uh, – that they weren't sensitive to the student population that way. But anyway, so I just, I really focused on how can I make sure my children deal with this heartbreak and this terrible situation and, and are as healthy and whole as possible. And I think I channeled all my energies toward that. Katie had help too, and she knows it's the kind of help that most people can't afford. We happened to have, uh, for 10 years, the most wonderful nanny. I don't even know. I feel like that's that's demeaning to her because she was really like my wife and like, the, like Ellie and Carrie's second mom. Her name was Lori Beth. Katie says it was really nice to have another grown-up around, especially when the girls hit puberty. I feel like they were so much worse to me than I ever was to my mom. Um, I think teenage girls are tough, especially my youngest daughter really did not want to be in the same zip code as me. Did you ever have one of those moments like your parents pulled on you of like uh, walking in on them when they were making out with somebody? Um, I, I did. I, uh, maybe a little bit. I think I was a little more relaxed probably about that. Um, 
at a certain point. Um, I think mores are a little more relaxed now. Um, but I have, well, I, I think I walked in on Ellie when she was smoking a clove cigarette. Um, and, and I also, uh, I walked in on Carrie when she was partaking in something a little more, uh, than a clove cigarette. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I was never quite as tough on my kids as my mom was on me. And, um, I think if Jay had lived, he would have been more of the disciplinarian. That's where Lori Beth came in. She was quite tough and really kept tabs on them and uh, really put her foot down. So it was sort of a good cop, bad cop situation, which was helpful to me because I felt guilty already working. And so to be the working single mother and the disciplinarian, I think there's not a lot of joy in that for a parent. So I was very privileged that that Lori Beth, um, who who was with us for a long time, really took a lot of that responsibility on. And I really credit her so much with uh, helping my kids become the people they are because um, she just was wonderful and super caring and extremely responsible and on them all the time. In a minute, Katie talks about dating as a widow. Don't go away. (laughs) Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back with journalist Katie Couric. So Katie told me that she had loved being married. And after losing her husband, Jay, she knew that one day she'd want to be married again. She says she started feeling ready to date a little over a year after Jay died. So when you're Katie Couric, you can't just go and put yourself on Tinder or whatever the equivalent was 15 years ago. But... I think I was at a little bit of an advantage because a lot of people wanted to fix me up, I think, because I was a public person. Um, Everybody pretty much knew my story. I think they knew I had two little girls. Uh, 
And I think people wanted to, to I think, help me find a nice partner. So I, I actually had some fairly lengthy relationships while I was single. And I remember wor- worrying about, you know, how do, I, how do I incorporate sort of my social life, my dating life, my romantic life with my life as a mother? And um, what, I, what I chose to do is to really keep potential partners at arm's length from my children until I thought it was, a, it was completely monogamous and serious, meaning not necessarily leading to marriage, but serious, you know. But, you know, it was hard because I remember Ellie getting particularly close to one guy I dated for about five years. And when that ended, she was quite distraught. Yeah, I wondered that. How involved were your kids in your dating life? Well, I mean, they saw it. I mean, I would take trips and we would do things together. And clearly, I would incorporate them because I'm not going to spend time away from them because I have a boyfriend and I was working, so I didn't want to then not be with them when I was home or when I had free time. So, you know, it was part of the package. And um, I also wanted my girls to see that you can have healthy relationships with guys. You know, as long as it wasn't a revolving door <laughs> of different people all the time, which is just not me anyway and not my style. I'm very kind of a one-man woman. Um that, that I wanted them to have male figures in their lives. I've read that you at first sort of fantasized about finding um, a guy who had kids of his own and kind of like Brady bunching your families together. Why was that the dream? I probably was looking for somebody who understood what it was like to have children. And I think probably I was influenced by the Brady bunch, you know, by the fact that Didn't Carol Brady's husband die of cancer, I think? Katie's girls grew up before she ever met her Mr. Brady. But two years ago, she got married again. The day she came into the studio was actually her two-year anniversary. Her husband is a guy named John Molnar. He's a finance executive. He's from Chicago, and Katie says she loves Midwesterners. She also loves that he's a real family man. Just like her, he's got two grown kids. Um, yeah, so we've kind of, we, we have a delayed Brady Bunch situation because John has two kids and my two girls. And, uh, you know, they've kind of gone on with their lives and they're mature young adults now. But, I you know, they enjoy each other and nobody's saying Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. But it's it's a nice situation because, um, you know, it's it's John loves his kids and I love mine. And it's just been great for us to be able to come together. Katie's kids are grown now, and she's about as big a celebrity as you can be in the world of journalism. Over the years, she's tried to use her position as a platform to raise awareness around other issues, like she did with colon cancer. A few years ago, she did a big show about eating disorders and body image, and she came clean about having struggled with bulimia back when she was in college. At home, she'd always tell her girls that they didn't need to look like the women in magazines. And I remember once I was watching TV with Carrie and I said, oh, that, that woman has really bad legs or something. And she said, Mom, why would you say that? <laughs> and I realized here I was judging somebody totally in, in a totally shallow, superficial way. And I so appreciated and respected my daughter calling me out on it. Well, it's so interesting what you're saying about, about the magazines because you are one of those women in the magazines. And um 
you know, how do you talk to your kids about your own celebrity and um, your appearance? You know, I mean, I, I've never seen myself, I guess, as, you know, I've seen myself sort of as a quote-unquote TV personality featured in magazines, really more because of my job than because of my appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, we've never really talked about it that much. I mean, I think I think my celebrity is something they just sort of tolerated, and I think at times they thought it was fun. I think they understood that as a result of my job, I we had some privileges, whether it was going cutting in line at Disney World. And I remember once uh, they the the person wanted to ask like this whole family in the front row to leave so we could sit there. Hmm. And I said, absolutely, positively not. Um, but I think my girls sort of understood that celebrity meant you got special treatment in some cases. And, um, you know, I had to make sure that they didn't, as a result, become incredibly entitled and obnoxious. And I think the way I countered that was I've tried tried as much as I have been able to, to be exceedingly polite and respectful of everyone. Because I think kids just absorb a what you say about other people, how you treat other people. And I wanted to make sure that they had good manners and were polite and respectful of everyone. So bodies change a lot after having kids. They continue to change as you get older. Tell me about it. You're coming up on 60 years old. I wonder... Thanks what? for reminding me and everyone else. It's all, it's all out there on the internet. <laughs> and actually, I'm sort of proud of my age because, I mean, what are you going to do? You're right. First of all, it's out there for everyone to see. But also, it's like I'm I'm so lucky. I think when someone you love dies at 42, you appreciate every year that passes by. So, yes, I'm about to turn 60. What is your question? My question <laughs> is, bodies change, and what has been the most difficult body change you've gone through? For me, well, when I do, like, down dog and yoga, it's like seeing that my skin is kind of separating from the rest of my legs, <laughs> and it just resembles something that doesn't even look like skin anymore. It looks like some kind of weird kind of... um like wrinkled linen fabric of sorts. So um, I think kind of holding up your arm or seeing your skin and seeing it start to move away from your bones and your muscle, that's pretty disturbing. (laughs) Well, Katie Couric, thanks so much for coming on The Longest Shortest Time. I'm so glad to leave you (laughs) with that image. (laughs) This has been great. Thanks so much. You're welcome. It was really fun. Hey, so we are still collecting your weird parenting wins. Weird parenting wins. You know, those things that you do to get your kids to do stuff. You know, things that you would never find in the parenting books. We asked Katie Couric if she had a good one. I think one weird parenting win was I when I finally got my older daughter to stop using a pacifier. We used to call it a pokey. I think she kept using it until she was probably five years old. God, that's so bad, isn't it? <laughs> 
and uh, <laughs> she probably she finally got rid of her pokey, and that was I didn't I don't think I did anything weird to get her to do it. I'm sure I prom- I think I might have promised her a puppy. If you want to hear more from Katie Couric, you can hear a whole lot more. She's launching a podcast of her very own. It's called Katie Couric, and she'll be doing what she does best having insightful, unbuttoned-up conversations with the biggest names in news, politics, and pop culture. The podcast starts next week, but go subscribe now to Katie Couric in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. I think I probably made these terrible promises of getting a puppy to get my kids to do things, like take medicine or to do things like that. And so ergo, I ended up with an entire litter, practically, of dogs in my kitchen. Tell us your weird parenting wins. You can leave them at our website, longestshortesttime.com, in the comments for this episode. That's episode 89. We also want to hear your weird parenting fails, because, you know, sometimes that thing that seemed like a great idea at the time wasn't. So do not promise a puppy... This podcast is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado and Antonia Akitunde. I'll be back next week with a brand new installment of our Childless Man series. This time, we're talking about placentas. So you eat it? Yes. <laughs> That's intense. That's really intense. Intense, but we learn a lot. Parents, non-parents, don't miss this show. Make sure you're subscribed to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. You guys, The Longest Shortest Time is part of the Earwolf Network. We love Earwolf because they connect us with amazing people like Katie Couric and W. Kamau Bell from last week's show. If you're happy about this too, then go to Facebook and like Earwolf's page. This will keep you in the know about new Earwolf shows and special guest appearances. And as always, we are looking to get you on our show. We like surprising stories from parents. We like surprising stories from kids talking about their parents. Right now, we are especially looking for stories about people who have lived for an entire century. If you've got a relative or a friend who is 100 years old or older, go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story. This is Nagin Farsad, the host of Fake the Nation, where we talk about politics, we talk about news, and we have a laugh. We were laughing. Every week, a cast of my funniest, smartest, and most politically astute friends, people like John Fugelsang, Liz Winstead, Dean Obidala, and others, tackle all the major issues like climate change. America leads the world in people who think climate change is fake. But pro wrestling is real. Guns! I started calling the NRA the AK-47%. (laughs) (laughs) Filibuster? I don't even know her. Okay, that's not a major issue, but it's a really great pun. Guys, there's going to be insightful commentary, but also maybe some real great poop jokes. Thank the nation. Stand up. 
You sing your wolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find ten. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Prince donated this guitar. (gasps) I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.